Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I slide right into an introduction while I'm being distracted by watching Craig clean his glasses. And <laughs> I make tabletop role-playing games as well. And I'm here with my co-host, the said glasses cleaner, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I own Nerdburger Games and I make tabletop role-playing games as well. And as I discovered, I was not needing to clean my glasses. I was needing to get a bit of schmutz off of my eyelash, which is what I was having the problem with. I have an eyelash thing where my eyelashes don't all curl up nicely. Some of them kind of go kind of straight. And so they're always kind of like, I don't normally notice it, but there's some of them that are always in my field of vision. But your brain like removes that just like you can't see your nose. Um, yeah. Even though it's in your field of vision, your brain removes your nose. Um, everybody, your nose is visible to you right now, even though you can't see it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm good for now. We'll see if any more schmutz ends up on my eyelash. Anyway, um, here with hopefully clean eyelashes is our guest, Derek. Hello. Hi, yes, my my eyelashes are great. Thanks for asking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear about your condition. Yes, it's a real struggle. I, the Midwestern it, uh, schmutz. I've heard of that. There's not Defects. nearly, there's not nearly enough uh, charities and fundraising to uh, we'll raise awareness to solve the eyelash schmutz problem. <laughs> but now, uh, now people are aware of it. We're gonna make a holiday. <laughs> We're gonna do a, a walk. Ooh, what color is my ribbon? It's just one ribbon. black line. Yeah. <laughs> straight. Yeah, it's a it's a clear ribbon with one little boop, you know, like right in the <laughs> <Yeah. middle of> <laughs> <laughs> Derek, tell us about yourself. Um, that stuff not to do with your eyelashes. Uh, oh, well, that's I'm gonna have to flip to the next page of notes. I had a whole thing prepared for my eyelash descriptors. Uh, my name is Derek A. Kamal. You see me around the internet as Dak or Shoreless. I run Shoreless Guys Publishing. I'm a three-time RPG R and D contributor, and uh. <laughs> I am currently in the latter phases of preparing my newest game, which is called the Broken Cask Society. And uh, I like turtles. <laughs> just as much as that kid in the meme. Yeah, just in time for <laughs> Halloween to like um, turtles. Yeah, it's a great and I'm gonna. I'm going to throw this out there a little bit because I like doing this. Um, yes, please. Any, I always forget. Any award-winning rpg designer silver any award for um heavy metal thunder mouse which is yes. mice on motorcycles doing awesome stuff and is a yes, very fun little thank game. you i uh i have tunnel vision when it comes to that because i'm like oh that was x years ago that's that's ancient history but you're right it is it is an achievement derek from now until the day you die and beyond <laughs> you are an award-winning rpg designer thank you if i uh, i like to, the, to imagine like if if you outlive me you're going to be like the few, my funeral is going to be dispersing and you're going to pop up like, no, you guys, by the forgot. way, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> um, your kids can put like, you know, child of <laughs> any, award you know, who my father is. <laughs> he is any award-winning RPG designer. This, this has been one heck of a side trick. It has Ooh, been. that is some professional level segue in there. That's what our you our listeners are used to. So we are talking our first RPG topic, our GMing topic of the day is about side tracks. And as you can see, we're very good at it. We've done two already. We haven't even started the podcast. We've done two, <laughs> two side tricks. Eyelashes and any awards. Yeah, at least one's like related. I, I love a side track. I, I love a good side conversation. It humanizes us and it makes us feel good. And I think that that is also the same reason why we like side tracks in our role-playing games. And that's why um, sometimes the GM might be sitting there like, hmm, how am I going to handle the fact that they want to have a beach episode today? Apparently. <laughs> um, I am usually as the GM, the one who says we're going to have a beach episode, but Sometimes our players get on sidetracks. Um, so what? What would uh, I'm? I'm gonna just throw a, a yeah. wrench in the machine here. What would prompt you to go to the beach episode? Oh, I usually like to do a beach episode when there is going to be a moment where I think some characters might die. <laughs> they are on their way to go do something. You give them one last frolic. I give them one last frolic. Or whatever. Exactly. 
they're gonna they're gonna have a fun beach episode where they're just hanging out it's pretty low stakes there might be a fight but they're gonna make it it's a silly maybe an old enemy returns to wrap up a little plot point they have a deck which can only be resolved by like a surfing competition exactly <laughs> building sand castles talking with each other bonfire um, you, you, yeah and then the Back end when you could bonfire. build bonfires on the beach yeah. is the beach episode reference worth explaining i don't know your demographic yeah, I mean, a beach episode is something that happens a lot in anime uh, oh, <laughs> where oh, they go to the that's beach. That's funny. I'm impressed. Possibly Craig, we're thinking more like late 80s, early 90s sitcoms that when too. there was like Saved by the Bell on the beach or <laughs> that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I don't watch a lot of anime, but I am thinking of a Pokemon, definitely like a beach and or camping Pokemon episode that I've seen. I'm yeah. glad that you that you clarified your your reasoning behind it and what the beach episode is supposed to be because I was sitting in my head thinking, I can think of a number of different beach episodes beach uh beach uh, uh segue you know or, uh, sidetracks is basically you know beach blanket bingo like you're talking like you know beach beach fun mm -hmm. and then there's amity beach there's like oh we're gonna go oh. to the beach when the shark is in the water or when you know things are going horribly wrong at the beach and there's like you're in the but anyway that's yeah so well, that, that yeah, would be for, i watched you, a documentary on jaws recently so yeah oh. for you for you anime people <laughs> the amity beach that would be like an attack on titan beach episode like nothing good is going to happen mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good that's a really good way to say that. But yeah, like a, a sidetrack where it doesn't have to be the beach, of course. It can be right. any sort of like little like, oh, they go on a camping trip. Oh, they they go to the spa. They go to the where, wherever they're going. Just a little sidetrack where yeah, they, can have a, they can have a little bit of emotional moment before um, maybe everybody's going to die. I've had it happen. <laughs> like I have always appreciated it. Even if it's within the same game session, like that moment of, huh, we can, we can talk, we can just get over some plot, like some character building moments before yeah. we go back into the big plot, like the wedding episode. You know that the, maybe yeah. something bad's going to happen at the end of the wedding episode, but right now, it's Avatar Last chill. Airbender had a great beach episode, yeah. which is exactly what you're talking about, where you know. It's more dialogue and character movement and resolution than uh, necessarily moving the plot forward. Yeah, so there's there's a good GMing tip right there. Um, we haven't really defined what a sidetrack is, but first GMing tip, use it to accomplish things that you can't when the regular plot's moving forward. Mm -hmm. Use it to go back and and let the characters resolve some character building moments, especially that they haven't had a chance to and really set things up in order for them to do that um use yeah you use really have to be explicit span. yeah mm -hmm. you have to be explicit with that don't you because at least in most of the groups i've played in and gm for they're very action forward so they just want to keep the ball rolling they want to get to the next fight they want to find the bad guy they want to resolve the next plot point so if you've decided that it is time for a sidetrack where it is more character forward you gotta set that up either just quite literally <laughs> <laughs> by saying this is what we're doing uh either the night of or before game night starts or like you're saying within the fiction um by setting the scene and you know sort of i always tend to think in very cinematic terms like pointing the camera at the character you want something from with enough of a prompt for them to understand what's going on so yeah that's mm -hmm. a great point yeah i think that it it sometimes it might need to be the GM like literally talks to the players and says, okay, we're doing this today, yeah. or it needs to be the setup to the, to the trek, to the sidetrack, to that episode, to that session or whatever. It needs to be like so explicitly and clearly different yeah. from anything that they're used to. And that there has to be ideally this level of trust that the players know, like, Oh, you know, the GM's taking us in that direction. Okay, you know, like, let's do that for a game session or for half a session or however long it is. You know, I've, I've mentioned this one before. It's probably my favorite sidetrack, which was the characters were, it was a D&D &D game. They were running around doing D&D &D stuff, right? Fighting Murder bad guys, killing monsters. And they had to take a, a ocean trek all the way across the big ocean. And I had them shipwreck on an island where the magic of the island transformed them into children versions of themselves. And they had to solve <laughs> riddles that had to do with nursery rhymes. Classic. And the players had to remember the nursery rhymes and piece them back together from their childhood memories. And it was a lot of fun. And, but, you know, like I had them, you know, 
the, the, they shipwrecked and I said, and you come to, and you look down and it's like, your toes are a lot closer <laughs> to you than you remember them being and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, like I did all this setup and like made it very clear. Oh, like, and you're, you're three feet tall. You're three and a half feet tall. And they all caught onto that very quickly. It's like, oh, this is going to be the kids episode. And they latched onto it immediately. <laughs> and they all started making mud pies and it was started on a beach. So it was perfect. <laughs> I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it is all very contextual and group dependent because I think for me, I have such a focus on immersion. I think I talked about this last time we discussed the stuff. I have such a focus on immersion that it's taken me literally years to give myself permission to just at the top of the session be like, look, this is what we're going to do. You cool with this? Here's how it's going to go. Just completely out of character. Me talking to my friends, not to their characters or anything like that. So if anyone else out there is kind of like me, like I, I hereby, as in any award-winning game designer, I hereby give you permission <laughs> to break character and just talk to the players and be very frank with them, um, especially when it comes to a sidetrack, because sometimes you got you got to have that. Otherwise, they they may not get it, and it might be a lot more work on your part, which could be resolved by just a quick aside, like, look, we're going to the beach. This is, we're not moving the plot forward. I'm going to be asking you a lot of character stuff or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I, I think it's great that you finally divulged the secret of getting in any award is that you become part of a judge. <laughs> you get to sit on the RPG judges council and make edicts whenever you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you get a gavel. It's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's totally good to ask for that permission because then also too, you're gearing up, like you mentioned before, you're gearing up the players to be like, oh, this is my chance to resolve that problem I had with my dad. This is my chance. Yeah, for real. This is my chance yeah. to finally tell the other character that I love them. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. And yeah. another thing that that does is it democratizes the session a little bit because the onus is not entirely on you, the GM. Uh, one of our previous discussions was on burnout. So uh, this is fresh in my mind because this was our last session of Pathfinder a week or, week or so ago. Several of our group were absent and we were moving into, as, as you said, Jess, we're moving into a very serious situation where we were actually going <laughs> back to the island where the previous characters had wiped. We had a total to get, but my first TPK, I felt very proud about that. I got my badge in the mail, put it next to my any award. Um, <laughs> so we were like, we can't do this without these other players. So what are we going to do? And so posing that question to my players gave me the hook I needed. And so the, like I said, the pressure was off me, the, they felt like they were contributing so their ideas could be heard. And, you know, it sort of leveled the, the playing field, so to speak. But again, that's all group dependent because this is a group I've been playing with for a long time. So we all trust each other and, and all that. Um, so you kind of got to feel it out sometimes. I, I think it's useful too. like, we never really talked about the, you know, the, the rules of, or what is the high track, you know, it can be as long as you need it to be, as long as it's probably not terribly, terribly long. I think, you know, it doesn't diverge, that doesn't diverge from the main hook of the story yeah. um, that you're, that you're doing um, or the types of stories that you're doing. It might be like my, my ideal is like one session, like one session yeah. is long enough to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, it's okay to have it just be like, oh, you go and do this other stuff for a while. And it maybe doesn't have a resolution in the yeah literary sense but it can be nice if it does even it's if it's almost that, like a one shot even if that, it? yeah even if that resolution is like you said it's not like you defeat anything or solve a particular puzzle unless the puzzle is your feelings for the other party member you know where maybe it's like just character driven and everybody has like a nice little character moment and that's your resolution like that's the that's the end that you got you all got you all went on you at the beginning, you took off on an emotional journey, and in the middle, you had a bunch of emotional stuff, and at the end, you all had an emotional catharsis of some sort. I, I think really, yeah, the, the key is that you're not adding any new A point, A plot, or B plot, maybe not even any C plot. You're adding, if it's a plot point, it's very minimal, much lower stakes than the actual like main plot that you're focused on. So they don't keep following down that track because event your goal eventually is to get them back onto the main quest. So this I think the same thing applies if your characters end up accidentally getting on a side tangent because they really wanted to help that that cute gnome family that lived in the woods that you just threw in there accidentally. You didn't mean to. <laughs> now now they're obsessed. Um, 
and you just want to make it, it doesn't happen. I don't think it has to be one session. It could be slightly longer, especially sure. if they're like really into something, but your, your main goal is not to introduce new stuff. Like your main plot is introducing a lot of new stuff. It's to close things and preferably like toward the end, you're giving them something that will like the, let them follow the breadcrumbs back to where they're supposed quote unquote supposed to be their original yeah. plan before they went on the side trick. You Absolutely. can, you can introduce new stuff as long as it has nothing to do with the current plot. Um, That's a, what I meant. Yeah. All right. A side track can can be a perfect time to seed something for much, much later. As long, you know, you present something as part of the story that you're telling that is clearly not important to the plot. It's just like, Oh, we're going to mention this country, this other kingdom. Right. Um, when, when a character is talking about being from there or whatever, you know, some NPC and then, you know, three months from now, after they've gotten past all this big hook that you had in the big climactic story moment that you were heading toward. Now we're going to travel to that kingdom or that kingdom invades or like, and you've just set that up and they go, oh yeah, this is like, and that helps to build a cohesive world. And that gets the players thinking like, okay, well that was, that was kind of seeded for us briefly a while back and it makes it all feel mm -hmm. whole. Um, one of the things I too, I want to mention, cause like the, the turning into kids thing, the magic um, nursery rhyme island is i want to make sure that we meant i mentioned um sidetracks are great for like the weird thing that's really out of the <laughs> out of the question like yeah. you're going to have the dream sequence that has all sorts of prophecy stuff that gets laid in there and then you you figure out what to do with those prophecies later or those you know those prophetic things that happen in like these these this symbolism that happens in the dream or if you're playing a science fictiony game this could be the time where all the characters are like having a downtime and they're going to play the new VR immersive game and they all get trapped in the VR and it has nothing to do with the story, but like they can't get their brains back into their bodies because they're trapped in this, you know, evil matrix. <laughs> and it yeah, just and becomes its forward. own little thing that just, right. and what you're doing is you're giving the world, oh, there's this game that can do this. And like, that's the level of technology we're at. And it builds the world to have that, but it's not, you know, central to taking down the mega corporation or, um, you know, the, the generational voyage that your characters are on or whatever is the, the science fiction-y thing that's happening. Totally. And I would put forward, find a way, you GMs who are listening, to frame it that makes sense to you. So for me, thinking of a, a side track, even though it's the same game with the same characters, thinking of it as a one-shot is always helpful to me because I know when I run a one-shot, whether it's one session or a couple sessions, it needs to be resolved a particular way. And so for me, thinking of it that way helps me to keep my footing when I'm telling the story with the players. And I also tend to think in terms of television. So again, if you've never watched, uh, well, I mean, you know, um, depending on what your background is with watching stuff, I think TV, long running TV shows are a great example to call upon when it comes to side treks, um, I guess it's just because we keep using the word trek, but I always think of Star Trek in particular, the next generation, because those that's some great writing style where you have that encapsulated story of the week thing happening, which has, you know, beginning, middle and end. And is most of the time completely tangential to the main story. But sometimes there are those those breadcrumbs that Jess mentioned that can come back later. So a long running show like that, or I mean, I haven't watched a lot of One Piece, but I think because that show has been going on for so daggum long, like it's got to have moments like that where there's just, you know, these, these sidetracks we've been talking about. So however you can frame up this notion, that's going to be the most helpful to you. And yeah, and I like what you said, Craig, about world building in particular, because I'm going again back to this last session we did because it was completely ad-libbed. Like my, one of my characters was like, oh, uh, oh yeah, I found this map. I'm like, you didn't find a map. You just pulled it out of your behind. <laughs> and so I like very rapidly did some stuff. Uh, I looked up on Reddit and online uh, for some, it's a pirate themed campaign. And so I found some like bad pirate puns and like just this random suggestion I found on Reddit. And which just led them on a kind of wild goose chase where it was very silly and they they found like some treasure. Um, but at the end, we found a map, they found a map. And my group is way too fixated on what I don't want them to be fixated on. And so naturally, this map is going to be a big deal at some point. But even though it was just something I randomly thought of at the end, just to reward a player for a good role, that's something I can draw upon later and tie them back into the big storyline if I need to. So 
yeah, find those things. Even if you're just kind of winging it, don't worry about it. Like we always say RPGs are like improv with dice, like just yes. And, and write it down and figure it out later. I, I think that's a great way to avoid it feeling like a filler episode, which is what a lot of these really long running, I think of it, especially in anime, like it's a filler episode. It has nothing to do with the plot and it feels like it's wasting our time on purpose. You don't want it to feel like it's wasting your time on purpose. If it's something that you are putting the characters through and you don't want to feel like your time is wasted as a, as a GM, if it's something that care, if the players are putting you through. So having that tie in to the plot, it does make it feel more meaningful. It makes it feel like a side trick and not a filler episode. Although don't get me wrong. I like a good filler episode. <laughs> It can uh, sidetracks can also be um, a couple of other things. Um, a great chance for one of the other players to GM, especially a new GM, to just try GMing for the first time. They're going into a game that they know. They're going right. into a world that they know. They're comfortable with the other players. They're comfortable with all the characters. They're you know it alleviates a lot of the anxiety that comes with starting. GMing where you're starting for the first time with a blank slate and we're now we're playing this game that I know but I don't know your characters I don't know how I'm going to deal with them like the this player has now spent who knows how long in the campaign getting to understand kind of where the each of the individual players will probably go with their character like you know yeah. I can expect this character to do that I can expect that character to do this and that's a perfect spot for somebody to get their feet with and try GMing also and that this has happened a few times and I, I had mixed feelings about it whenever it started, but I always ended up being very satisfied with it because um, partly probably because they were good GMs, but tying the, the, uh, uh, the sidetrack into something in the real world where like mm. we see it, we see it perfectly right now. Right. Or just have in this last month, got to have a spooky episode, got to have, you know, a horror, right. a sidetrack during Halloween, even if your game, or during, you know, during October, even if your game is not specifically a horror game, got to have something scary, you know, having a sidetrack that has something to do with gift giving or celebrations. If you're having, if you're, if your game world has a Christmas or a holiday or a Yule or a winter solstice or whatever, you know, whatever Candle the holiday nights. may be. Yeah. Um, you know, tying things into like, if it, it can be like, just think about what your player group is. If you're, if you're playing with a bunch of people who actually have grown up working on farms, like there's the, 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 the beginning of planting and, and the end of the, of the farm season and, and harvesting and everything are like, those are noteworthy moments in their lives. Those, those moments have, have colored their perception of the world. You can, yeah. You can just have a sidetrack that, you know, has something to do with that. Like it's the harvest festival or it's the, uh, you know, like everybody's going out to go planting and like, you have to go out and, you know, clear out the monsters before, I don't know, whatever it is. Like you got a game that's mostly political, but now they, you know, there's something that has to do with like some festival in game that happens to coincide, especially if it coincides with the real world, because it's that time of the year for the player as well. And it'll, it'll kind of resonate with them subconsciously. There's a reason why like every single video game these days has seasonal events It's because people just love that stuff. Like, and, you know, I don't know if it's worth the discussion as to the why of it, but, but it, it's okay to draw upon, you know, like your favorite video game, because there's a reason why they put the fall festival in or like the winter festival in the game. Um, and it's just, you know, what Craig was saying about that connection to what's happening in the real world and kind of the spirit of the season. Yeah. I always loved that when I played WoW. Yeah, let me get mm -hmm. to the Christmas the Christmas stuff. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other any other tips on sidetracks? Are we ready to take another sidetrack? I think we can sidetrack. Let's let's sidetrack to the zines. Let's sidetrack <laughs> to our to our game design tip, which I think is I don't I can't think of a way to make it related. So I'm just gonna sure. very obviously lay out. Oh, hey, oh look Craig, at that. Craig. Way to lead by example. Yes, Craig. Let's talk about the sidetracks of game design. <laughs> which is where you set aside the the longer more protracted more involved game that you're working on and you make a little zine thing that's like you know 12 pages long or 30 pages long and it's like a little booklet yeah we uh we wanted to we thought we'd talk this is like short form of everything that's what this episode is so like you know zine stuff like what what zines are um, what you can do with them there's there's a lot of opportunities for all sorts of interesting things that um aren't dependent upon a lot of the uh, nuts and bolts and, and robustness that you might need for a larger game. Now, not not to say that there's, you know, there's plenty of role-playing games out there that are short games to begin with, but like, and just for the people who are perhaps uninitiated, zine culture 
um, started a long time ago before computers were a thing. And people would like make these things like handmade. They would be made of eight and a half by 11 paper folded in half. So the, the, the zine size is five and a half by eight and a half oftentimes um, or something weird. <laughs> it was usually that or something really off the wall. Um, they'd be staple bound. Um, they'd probably be black and white. They might be handwritten or typewriter written and then stuff pasted together and photocopies made or um, all, you know, like, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do them. And then, but they had this kind of, kind of small crafty feel to them. And you can do that with a lot more polish nowadays too, where you can get like an actual glue bound, perfect bound book. Um, sometimes you, the printer that you use might not be offering staple bound anymore. Like drive through RPG doesn't offer staple bound anymore. Um, but you know, it, it becomes like an exercise in like, here's a really little miniature game that does a very specific thing, or here's a, like just a comedic thing that you can like, here's a bunch of, you know, funny ideas that you can throw into your game or a bunch of horror themed things like a hundred, 101. That's a popular one, right? 101 of this or 101 of that 101 weird magic items. Would an ash can fit into this category? Or is that something different? I think you that's could, different. I well, it's, it's different. Like, can format, like a preview. Yeah. Format wise, it might be. Yeah, I, I, a, I think a zine is more standalone. Like, it's not meant to yeah. be part of something bigger. I have a feeling, though, that there are perhaps some people who do, like, the little zine kind of thing and then realize, okay, I made this thing, but I can expand this. And they didn't intend for it to be an right. ash can, but it be, but then they they blew it up into something bigger. But, yeah, yeah geez, like, it can be a little journaling game. Like, they're, they're often very specific and themed along a particular line. Um, or they're the... Like the, the, the two that I see the most common are like very specific and themed, like a, a, a little mini game that does this thing or they're like uh, uh, like a journaling game that's a very specific kind of experience um, or they're like the, the catch all of like 101 of this thing. Like, you know, and they're 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 just, you know, a bunch of ideas for stuff for GMs to use or players to use for in games. Um, but anyway, that's that's my rambling discussion of what a zine kind of has been and what it might be and it'll continue to evolve so if you hang out with the right people uh, and go to the right concerts you can still get your hands on some zines in that very um old old style or like regular kind of zines um i see them a lot in like especially in politically involved activist spaces in the leftist uh area people like to like the reason to have a zine is that it's easy to make and it's easily distributable. It's it's cheap to distribute, and I think that's what's really appealing about that, in particular for for indie game designers, is that you can take an idea, you can present something like Craig said, something very specific, and you can get it into a lot of hands without having to spend a lot of money on overhead. And there is not an expectation of it having to look like a Wizards of the Coast product. Like, I feel like yeah. a lot of us have pressure to make. Oh, yeah, that's a great um, point because, okay. Well, just, uh, t- just related to that, it's not only easy to make, it's also easy to receive. Like the person who gets it, like this is a small little booklet thing. You're not asking me to commit a lot right, to, to reading this or checking this thing out. Like it's very um, consumable. So, I mean, that's why it serves uh, such a great, you know, it it does its job so well in so many different fields and RPGs and in music and in uh, political stuff. And because it's like, you're not having somebody a treatise, (laughs) like here's not a big book or a big biography or, you know, the history of the West history of Western civilization or anything like that. It's like, (laughs) here's this little, here's this little booklet that like tells you all you need to know about this thing. One little thing. (laughs) Yeah. I love the zine format for a lot of reasons and that's probably the biggest one is the low not low overhead but it's not intimidating and you know jesse mentioned the wizards of the coast thing and that sort of specter i think haunts a lot of people in the tabletop space because that's what people are most familiar with and that's what's dominated the space since the dawn of time but Creeping under that really, I mean, probably since, you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but really since like the early advent of D&D and that whole thing was small form zine style publications where you could get new rule sets or settings or all those things you guys just described. And um, I'm struck, like, I guess because I'm kind of neck deep in it, I'm always struck by how unfamiliar people are 
with indie gaming in general and also uh, the different form factors that are available. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, hardcover D&D Pathfinder one ring book. It can be a PDF. Um, I really like keeping, I keep an eye on uh, designers like uh, Takuma Okada, who uh, their stuff just got picked up by Fate. So I guess they're not in this category anymore or not Fate, but uh, Evil evil Hat. Yeah. Uh, But that's their jam is they just release free 10 page PDF games um, that are real accessible and easy to get to. And I love that for me personally, because I do so much better with anything really when it's when it's more bite-sized some shorter podcasts shorter novels short like game dem- video game demos um one one to two page uh rpgs that's like my jam uh because there's so much stuff out there i feel like i can get in and out of whatever it is a lot more quickly i'm not sitting there eating a 12 course steak dinner i can just have a quick snack and i can see the point of view of the author and what they're trying to convey and the world they're trying to create and the game style they're trying to come across without having to commit so much time and attention and brain space to it. And so that's kind of a more conceptual approach to the zine. Um, If you just have something you want to get out of your system, you hear that a lot with various creative content types. You just got to get it out of your system. Um, Whether it's like a solo record that some musician has to do or uh whatever if you just have this idea that you can't stop thinking about that's one reason to make a zine style product is you can just get it out of your system you don't have to have a kickstarter you don't have to have a massive you know dnd5 core book tome you don't even have to produce a physical copy you can just make a pdf you can use stock imagery you can use um free fonts you can you know practice your own layout design skills and just write and then get this thing out. And as Craig said, it could become something greater, but even if it doesn't, like it's, you could get it off your plate and express what you want to express to the world and it's out there. And so that's something, you know, I know zine quest is a thing, uh, especially for you guys, but I would like to see more of this format just in general, but especially in gaming, because I think it's, um, can open up the space to a lot even more people, even though indie gaming, even indie tabletop gaming in particular is a very open, welcoming, easily accessible space. I think the smaller um, size, form factor, and depth of um, creativity is makes the zine thing a lot more accessible to lots of people. It's a lot less intimidating. Like last thing, I know I'm going on here. When I was, <laughs> when we were at Momocon and I was working a table with Craig, this guy was looking at my stuff and he's like, yeah, I'd like to write a book or make a game one day, but like I got ADHD and it's really hard. So for someone like that, a zine or whatever, a smaller form game is so much less intimidating than a giant core rule book. And so I think that's another benefit to this format where it's just that much more accessible to that more that that many more people yeah i i 100 agree like the focus is on the accessibility from all our accesses with the zine uh, i do want to be careful i know that no one's intending to do this and craig even mentioned this too it's not to say that a zine is less than because there are a lot of people who really make these zines with a lot of intention with a lot of thought and it is a solid product with a lot of meaning packed into it. Um, so yeah, it's like that snack. It's like a bite size. It's a small plate at a, yeah. at, a at a Michelin star restaurant. You no, know? it is, it is, <laughs> it is um, not like, Oh, you publish zines because you can't publish. <laughs> uh, no, because there, no. there are plenty of like really like prominent designers who make, zines too, especially around zine quest, which is in February this year. Um, so if you're listening now and you're like, ah, I've never made a game. I've always wanted to go check that out. It's not too late to want to do that. Um, you have four months before zine quest. <laughs> that's a lot of time. Um, that, that's uh, quite a bit of time. In fact, I want to go back to like some of the topics that people put in their zines. Cause Craig, you mentioned a couple, like they're not always full games sometimes they are like not necessarily supplements but like ideas and tips and characters 
So I have an idea that like, we'll see where it happens. Cause also my attention span is whatever happens in my brain is what's going to happen that day. Um, I, I want to make a zine with suggestions of uh, Michigan cryptids and Michigan urban legends that you can add into your games. So Michigan Dogman, for example, the melon <laughs> heads, um, there are all sorts of fun Michigan um, creepy creepy cryptids and people like cryptids. They're super in the zeitgeist and I want to make a little zine about it. I just want to talk about them and make some suggestions and call it good. I don't want to make a game. I don't want to put mechanics on it. I want to say Here's what you can add to your <laughs> to your game. Take it as you will. Uh, and it, it can be something as, as simple and easy as that. So how do you know that you have a, a zine idea on your hands instead of a, 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 like a book? How do you know? Yeah, that could be tough to know. But if you... I'm not a big rules person. That's why I often will just either bite other people's rules or just like Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse was just adapted from fate. And so if it is just a cool fiction idea or a, a, a cool idea for um, adding to an existing system or a more of a setting piece, then something, it, it, you know, for me, it's almost like I don't want to add rules to this or I don't want to um, make an incredibly deep system. If you kind of follow that impetus and that desire, it, it might end up being a smaller piece that is zine size. And so in a way, it's kind of intuitive insofar as like you just have one cool idea. It's not a fully fleshed out world or, or it is just the world without the mechanics or it's, um, like I said, it's something you just kind of got to get out. So and for me and maybe for other designers, too, it's just a very intuitive thing. Uh, it, as I began, the, it didn't turn into something that needed to be a full book. It's just small and it's, and it's perfectly fine standing on its own. How do you stop yourself if you're if you're used to making bigger games? How do you stop yourself from adding and adding and adding until you do have a full book in your hands? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that inspiration has to come from without, because if you're not aware of the smaller scale games, zine or otherwise, you feel like you. That's kind of what I meant when I was talking about um, the looming specter of Wizards of the Coast earlier, because some of us tend to think that it has to be a huge core book. And so if people aren't exposed to that, then I don't know, you know, I think uh, hopefully they're listening to this and, and now they feel like they can do something on a, on a zine scale. But if you aren't really aware of it, then I don't know. For me, I've, and I've, I've done a few zine products that are like 40 pages or less. They're all usually like 30 to 40. It's come out of, and they're all game. Like they're all like a little game. Like self-contained um, games. Yeah, there are self-contained games. For example, I'll just use low stakes as an example because that's the most successful of them. And we're recording while it's still in October and it's horror themed. Mm -hmm. um, low stakes is my gamifying of the, the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows. Um, you play archetypal gothic style monsters living in the modern day in a home together, trying to get along and deal with the modern world. And I thought I want to create where you can create a game where you can tell a story that's like an episode of the, of the TV show. If it was being filmed, it would be 22 minutes long. Um, when you play it, it's more like an hour and a half <laughs> because you got dice rolls and there's, you know, you have to describe everything rather than just seeing things on screen very quickly. But, you know, and then I, you know, I, I thought about like, you know, the discussion of like, well, what is the game about? What's the play experience that you want the players to have? And for me, it was, I want to recreate that show. I want people to play a character who is a fish out of water. Every single one of them is a fish out of water. And they have, and like mechanically, they have, here are the skills that I'm really terrible at because of who I am. And then here's everything else. Because um, the skills that you're really terrible at are more fun when you see like the, you know, 500 year old vampire try to respond to an email. So like the, the game is built entirely around that, that sort of thing. And so like the mechanics, I, I limited the mechanics. I just, I just want people to fail at things that they're bad at and be okay at things that they're okay at um, and have, you know, there's ultimately a mechanic for that determines kind of who has clout in, in the home, like who's got the upper hand. And by the time you get to the end of the story, like whoever has the upper hand gets to like kind of write the end of the story like kind of describe the the final scene or whatever. And it's and it's intended to just, you know, tell a sitcom style story where it's like here's a introduction or a situation that's introduced, there's a bunch of escalating problems and then you resolve it. 
Um, and you only needed 40 to pages to do that. And I only needed like, you know, 32 or whatever pages to, to do that. Could um, you have and eight, of, eight of those eight of those pages are character archetypes and eight of those pages are story outlines like one page like here's a like there's a new roommate it's like you know there's just it's like a bunch of prompts for like how to have a story that revolves around the characters going on a road trip or there's a new roommate or whatever could that have been a caper style core book or do you think there wasn't enough meat on that bone I don't think there's enough meat on that bone yeah a sitcom by its nature and it's even though like for example many sitcoms and what we do in the shadows is one of them has an ongoing storyline individual episodes kind of have beginning middle and end and so the game is designed to be ideally it's it suited well for as a one shot you can do a beginning middle and end if you had more mechanics all that's going to do is bog down and it's going to take you longer to get to the funny you know, like to get to, because right. like in the, in, in the, in the game, they have the confessional, you know, where the, where the vampires talk to the camera and reveal things. I want you getting to that as much as possible, but I don't want to have so much of it that it becomes boring and repetitive. Um, so the game is, you know, also built to kind of do that where it's like, everybody's going to get, a, you know, like two chances to talk to the camera and have their weird <laughs> discussion through the fourth wall. Um, I guess that's um, goes so, back like, to some yeah, core. It keeps, it keeps the mechanics super simple. Yeah, keeps, keeps the whole thing very small. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, I think the question of whether or not something is zine sized conceptually goes back to core design ideas. What do you want the player to experience to be? So, if you want it to be a big sprawling campaign, then yeah, you, maybe you do need a huge core book. But if you want it to be more of a one shot, shorter focused laser focused game because those are the kind of stories you want the game to tell then then it makes sense that the smaller zine style would be more appropriate so i guess it does kind of go back to uh your your core design goal i'm gonna make a zine about the beach episode for different moves <laughs> just call it beach episode yeah. that would be great I, I i just had that brilliant stroke of genius there <laughs> um it'll be just moves you can make as a gm during the beach episode that's great. <laughs> um, I, no, I want that for myself, uh, but no one is making it. So unless one of you two want to make it, <laughs> no, no, make make that. Give it, give it mechanics, but give it mechanics that work for that game, and then you can play with whatever game you're playing. And then for one session, we're going to go to the beach, and you're going to play your characters, but you're going to recreate them using this really simple mechanic, and it's just a couple mm. of things that you need to know that are important, like your character at a beach. What's important? Swinging yeah. a sword? No. <laughs> you know, like that's that doesn't even need to be on the character sheet. Um, yeah. Um, I, I have some ideas, but I'm going to play around with cool. some stuff. I have another, I have <laughs> yeah, like three, because this always happens to me. I'm the, always the with the two, with the two <laughs> books I've published. Um, so for Moonpunk, at the end of Moonpunk, I was like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this instead. I want to be doing this instead of me doing layout on this right now. And that's happening that to me right now. Dude. Yeah, it's happening with me right now with Means of Magic, which is like, so like, I have like just a couple little final touches to make with layout and then I'm done. We just talked about <sighs> this on a recent episode. Yeah. Every game designer loves having just finished a project. Yes. And I like have like those, that last little things. bit kills me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's why I like, I, I, I don't know if this is just the way it goes or if this is just the way I've inadvertently set myself up where I am like with Broken Cask Society, for example, now is I'm basically done. Like I just I just have to check the approve box because Jacob's doing layout design and Claudia just finished the illustrations. So it's like, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm already like, in my mind, that game may as well have been out for 10 years because I don't even think about it anymore, which is good because I don't have really have anything else to do besides just make sure that the layout design is correct. Um, so I, I definitely feel that. you. It's that, I don't know, dopamine chasing slash cult of the new feeling we just like the new shinies we want to follow that new exciting idea yeah, exactly and it seems a great way like you said like ben say and derek it's a great way to pursue the i need to do it let me do it uh yeah. feeling that i think because yeah, when, really when like the it. dopamine runs out it's i'm sorry i talked over you no 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 this one because when the you know the dope the quote-unquote dopamine runs out like you don't want to friggin finish that thing but if it's just a, a 10 to 30 page pdf or small book like you can find enough gas in the tank to complete that mm-hmm. and then you have the dopamine reserves to to want to move on to the next thing and actually right. Start <laughs> right. you're not burned out yes and if uh just to, to speak kind of to tie together something that we've all been kind of saying in different pieces like 
if you're designing games or looking to design games or wanting to design games, you probably have a list of ideas, um, whatever that is. If it's in your head on a piece of paper on your computer or whatever, go down that list of ideas and say, okay, what do I want the game to be about? And what's the player experience going to be like? And if you start getting into your head, like I'm going to create this vast sweeping world, or I'm going to have, you know, have these epic battles. Well, probably not a zine, but if you say, I'd like to have this little game where, and I'm going to use an example of an actual game. So don't use this because it's already out there and it's great. <laughs> um, I want to have a, uh, a journaling game where we tell the story, um, a spaceship and all its different owners and all the great adventures it's been on. That's and cool. that's um, it's called bucket of bolts. It does exactly that. It's made by the same people who made artifact, which is a game that kind of does the same thing, but with fantasy, here's like this artifact and all the owners it's had. And you just tell the, you tell the history of this thing. That's not a that's not a big book. You know, that's just an idea of like, I can tell this neat little story about like this spaceship was captained by this person and they went and did these wonderful things. And then it was a junk junker for a while and it was picked up and repaired by these people. And, you know, just tell tell the whole history of that. That's a that's a game. You know, if you look through your list of ideas and you and you think the the play experience is like this kind of little this little thing that kind of you do this and then it ends and it's a satisfying conclusion to what you're doing you'll you'll notice you'll see whether it's a short thing or whether it's something that's going to take a lot more work and and time and ones and zeros yeah and i have to think too if you have an idea where it's like you said it's just very a uh, minimal idea it's very specific if thinking in terms of a zine product would help you to finalize that idea because if you are kind of just thinking about massive core rule books but you just have this idea about the story of a spaceship thinking of it in terms of zine or thinking of it in terms of even like a lot of zines uh or you know small pdf games are solo games like you mentioned like the journaling games you mentioned and so even if you have a couple ideas that are not fit for a huge book maybe they're not even fit for uh, a self-contained multiplayer zine type book maybe making it a solo game is is what you need to do to just get that idea out and see it come to completion. Uh, so just even thinking in terms of zines as a possibility could help nurture your ideas into full-fledged uh, releases. I did write down Bucket of Bolts. So I'm going to check it out right after this. Yeah, for sure. I like that idea. I haven't heard of that. Or Artifact, to be honest. Uh, made by the same people, I believe. I think they did Artifact first. And then like that was that did really, really well on Zine Quest a few years ago. And then they did Bucket of Bolts as kind of like, here's the science fiction version of that, but with its awesome. own little twists. Yeah. I mean, those are like basically the same thing, like your old Bucket of Bolts spaceship and your cool Yeah, it's just framed, just framed yeah. differently. It gets, <laughs> puts, puts the reader and the player in a different headspace. For sure. So that makes it a different story, a different, uh, you know, a different play experience because it it puts you in a different frame of mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that if you are interested um, in writing a zine, in making one, there are there are two places that I would recommend going. Number one, I'd go to the Zine Quest page on Kickstarter and take a look at what other people have done. Uh, buy some zines, go to a convention and buy some zines. So actually looking at RPG zines. Um, my other suggestion would be to go to a punk show and pick up their zines that they will inevitably have there uh, by the merch table, which are going to be free. And you can just take one because they will be telling you about some cool stuff to do, maybe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You're correct, because yeah. that's that's one of the few places societally where the zine lives on is the punk and hardcore scenes. Mm -hmm. Like there's some other ones, scattered pockets of it, but you're absolutely right. That's that's kind of where it's been incubating for decades now. Those places and where um, artistic and and or punk people hang out, you'll find some totally, things yeah. there probably. <laughs> yeah. Or your library, actually, libraries often will have if you have a big enough library with uh, in a big enough city. Library systems do them. seem to be swerving in kind of a punk direction, which I, I kind of like. They've always been. Well, they've been a little bit more overt. Maybe it's just social media skewing my perception of reality itself, but you're right. Yeah. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today on this wonderful uh, sidetrack into sidetracks and scenes. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I had a blast talking about the stuff with you guys. Tell us about where we can find you on the internet and things that you want to plug for us. Yeah, I'm Shoreless Skies everywhere. Uh, so if you just Google Shoreless Skies, it's a lot of S's, but you can do it. Um, I'm most active on Twitter. And then all of my stuff is on strollerskies.com. There's links to all my products. Um, and 
a link to itch.io. So if you guys, I know you guys are probably aware, but any listeners who may not be aware, if you can't find a local punk show or you're not, there's not a game shop or a convention happening in your neck of the woods, or you're just laying low because society is terrible, uh, itch is another great place to find small indie zine style games like like you know craig just mentioned bucket of bolts they have a great itch page where you can get it on the cheap there's a lot of free ones as well including my game nova burn which uh i would i would venture to say is zine ish it's quite short and the pdf is free on itch.io and then of course as i've been saying broken cask society is nearing completion so keep an eye out for that if you um like games where you can uh visit fantasy ends or you uh want to visit a fantasy inn by yourself or with friends that's what this game is about so that should be out next month so if you follow me on any of the socials you will definitely be hearing about it and uh claudia cangini who uh, did the art for that book has been posting lots of samples of the illustrations for it and it looks absolutely wonderful so yeah that's me can find me on twitter at, at Jaska. You can find my games at wannabegames.com and you can find them on drive through rpg and itch under the same name and yeah, sorry, I had to get up in the middle of what you were saying, Derek. Like I mentioned this before the episode started recording, they're doing work in my building and they came around with filters. And I was like, you got to come back. And I said in an hour, which was not good thinking on my part. Cause I will nope. also be recording in an hour. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, oh, well. <laughs> Craig. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm Craig. I'm at nerdburger Craig on the Twitter um, nerdburgergames.com is the website. Uh, two places to two things to keep in mind. I'm going to throw this out there right now. One, the Kickstarter for Code Warriors is wrapping up when this episode comes out. This is probably the last day. So go check that out uh, before Thursday is done. And I am seriously considering getting a second printing of Good Strong Hands made um, for reasons. And so if you go to my Twitter, you'll find a link to the Discord. Come in there, go to the Good Strong Hands um, channel in the Discord. And there's a link there that you can, I'm, I'm basically looking for people who want, who have wanted to get the game, who haven't gotten around to getting the game, who want the nice fancy version of the book. And I'm going to sell it to you at a discount to know that I've got a bunch of people who already want to buy it. And that will help me in my head justify spending money on, on a print run. So uh, yeah, come find the discord via uh, the website or the Twitter and uh, you can get a uh, good, strong hand. it will be like pre-ordering, but you'll be able to get it. Uh, cheaper than normal so there you go awesome. uh thank you to our opening and closing theme song which is available by step Sacks, licensed under creative commons and thank all of you for listening and we'll see you back here next time bye Bye-bye. bye